0: amen jesus you are deserving we make a joyful noise unto you knowing lord that you are awesome magnificent and wonder in glory we praise you on high in jesus name amen you
1: folks may have a seat Good morning. If you're in junior high, I'll already see you walking out. Uh, there's junior high service next door. Uh, my name is Amy, if we haven't met before, and I'm here to welcome you. If you are new to the building or have been visiting off and on, we do have a gift for you, and that gift is outside at in our info booth. You can pick it up now or you can pick it up when you leave today. Where's everyone going? Goodbye. I think they're going to junior high. All right, so what we're gonna do this morning, we have communion, we have a lot of things going on, and we have so much happening in September, I'm just gonna go through a roll call of those activities, and I'm gonna go by date, and you can get out your phone or your little pad of paper or whatever you write on, and I want you to make a note of the activities that sound like they're just for you, and then you're gonna make a note of that, and then you can look it up later on the website, on our app, or at the info booth when you leave today. Are we ready? All right, are you sure? I left out three for service, so I added them for this one. All right, it's September 4th, Sunday. In two days, our Awana program kicks off. That's the 6th. If you have a child that joins that program or you want to join that program, you need to register online before coming on Tuesday. That's going to run through our school year uh, starting this Tuesday, all right? Then we come to Saturday, which is uh, September 10th. That day we have men's breakfast and we have our men's barbecue. Our men's barbecue is special. Might be the first one ever, I don't know. But it's not here, it's off site. So you wanna look at the slide because it is uh, in someone's house and there's some great barbecue happening. You can register for that online or sign up at the info booth happening the next day which is September 11th is our new to SBC class if you're not aware of this it's on our app it's second service so it's during second service next Sunday all right so then we roll right into Monday which is the 12th I wrote yeah okay I wrote the date wrong it is the 12th though and that is when we have a women's bible study starting up or restarting, they took a break during the summer. That's with Shelly and Marta. They're going through the book of Revelation and they're starting up again Mondays at six here on campus. And then a couple days later, our prayer and worship starts up again. They've been meeting Thursdays, uh, Thursday evenings. They're starting September 15th. So that is something that's gonna be happening again. And then a couple days from that is Sunday again. I don't know what you have time for besides all this stuff. All right, so Sunday is our Fundamentals of the Faith class. And we talked about that. It's also second service. And that is something we want you to register for if you want to be there. Because we have books for you. We want to make sure we have enough. Then the next day is the 19th. On the 19th, I don't have a slide for this yet, but we have a baby shower coming up. And that's going to be Monday night. I'm going to give you more information about that. There's actually lots of babies being born. So you're going to hear the word baby and shower the rest of this year. All right. Then, oh, the next day is Tuesday the 20th. And we have another women's Bible study going on. And that is with Laura Osnes. And she's going to start the book of Matthew. And so that is happening Tuesdays here. It's one of our only studies that provides childcare, So that's a great study to go to couple days later if you have not participated in anything at all then you can join our financial peace class which is Thursday evenings you need to register for that as well be debt-free the day after that is our women's retreat and I want to report sadly that the women's retreat is registering full right now so if you did register and you haven't paid I encourage you to do that so we know if there's any cancellations or someone's changed your mind so we can open up that up to people or to women that haven't registered yet then you get back from the women's retreat and a couple days later on tuesday the 27th pastor jesse starts his leadership class and he talked about that last week that's going to be during awana off-site so you get to drop off your kiddos go learn some great things come and pick them up and then then it's well then it's october so that is your September. However, in October, we have our women's Titus II mentoring group starting up. Is Tracy here? Okay, you moved. So Tracy's going to come up and give you more information about that.
2: Thanks, Amy. Um, Titus II mentoring is um, it's a nine-month program, and it's the just to summarize it, it's women walking side by side through the craziness of life. Drawing closer to Jesus, and that's pretty much it. Um, in mentoring, when I, Lord called me to mentor, I said, Who, now these are very common, everybody thinks this, who am I to mentor somebody else? And I don't have the time, and um, I don't want anybody to know what I'm really like. So that is every mentor has that, those things that the enemy's putting in their mind and everybody who wants to be mentored um, has that going through their mind too. And I would have loved to have had somebody um, to take me through when I left home through college and afterwards and I didn't even know mentors existed. So for those of you who are younger, um, the, the word commands us to for older women to teach younger women and to be reverent in the way they live to not be slanders or addicted to too much wine, but to teach what is good. And then they can urge the younger women, if they're married, to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure and how to live so that no one will malign the word of God. Um, so, any, most women are older than another woman. 25-year-olds are older than 18-year-olds, and 60-year-olds are older than 50, 40, 30. Um, anyway, I want these women to, uh, I'm sorry. Two two parts to it. One, we do small groups of six and three to six, and they we teach these women kind of mentor each other and learn the parts of mentoring. So that when you complete the nine months, it's once a month meeting um, for nine months. Then these women are comfortable mentoring. And then this is our fourth year, so we have a, a crew of women who are willing to mentor the younger people. So I wanted each of these women, I think there's more of you out here you don't want to come up, I guess, um, to say just in a few words what they got out of it or what they enjoyed it. Yeah, my name is Hanalei. Um, I did the program throughout last year to this year and I think it was just a really good way to meet other women and build like deeper friendships. Um, you're able to go over these books that are probably books that you wouldn't pick out to read yourself, which is a good thing, um, and just talk over those topics with the women in your group and really get closer and get um, deeper and talk about the book and also your life and just, yeah, like like Tracy said, just mentoring each other, which is really cool. Okay, she told me a short phrase. I would say friendships, and um, I really enjoyed the books. Um, I enjoyed uh, the process of really getting real with other Christian women and Um, learning that that process is okay and we don't all come in these neat little Christian packages and our lives are allowed to be messy and they're allowed to be shared and I through that I was able to deepen my relationship with the Lord and my walk with him thank you Um, there's a sign up in the back whether you want to be mentored or whether you want to learn how to mentor uh, just sign up, and I'll contact you and talk about it, see if you're interested, um, have questions. Thank you.
1: All right, well, that's our lineup for the next month. There's, there's something for everyone. Now it's time for Pastor Jesse.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. One of the things, as Amy mentioned, uh, that... Because of just the the busyness of life at our church and and God being gracious to us and growth and all that. There's so much going on, and we really are doing our best to try to communicate to you. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor and work with me on the communication piece because communication works both ways. We're going to do our part, uh, but you got to do your part. Download the app. If you haven't downloaded the app, repent of your sin and download the app. You can do it right now. Uh, go to the website, go to all our social media stuff, follow us on all those things. That helps us communicate with you, helps you know what's going on, uh, because all of these things are awesome. In fact, uh, like uh, Tammy said, you know, the women's retreat is completely full, and so I told her uh, today, hey, let's figure out some way next year to double the amount of women that go and allow for more to uh, come. So be if you, don't, if you didn't get to go this year, wait till next year, uh, and if you're bored, like Amy said, there's no reason for it, so find something to do for the love of Jesus. Um, If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. One of the ushers will hand you a Bible. If you do have your Bible, uh, and just keep your hand raised, they'll hand you one uh, as they see it. If you do have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, and we're going to continue our study in the gospel of Mark. So this is where we've been. If you have not been with us, this actually is kind of a, a good week to pick up, only because in the first eight chapters, if you remember, Jesus Jesus' ministry has been focused on the masses. So he's been all about reaching as many people as possible. And here, what we saw last week was a shift. Chapters 9 on to the end of the Gospel of Mark will be an emphasis of Jesus teaching his disciples. There's a little bit more intimacy occurring. Again, if you haven't been here, last week we saw that Jesus encountered a man who was blind. This particular man, Uh, We know that he wasn't blind from birth because when Jesus initially spits into this man's eyes to heal him, that's the way he goes about it. The man says that he can see and he can recognize what he sees. What it tells us in chapter eight is that when he sees people, they look like trees. They're fuzzy. Then Jesus touches him a second time and gives him clarity. The man can finally see. And, of course, he rejoices in Christ, and so on and so forth. What's the purpose of that? The purpose of that story is to show us what's happening with the disciples. They see fuzzy. They don't see Jesus as clearly as he's supposed to be seen. They continually, we are told in the gospel, they just keep misunderstanding. They know that there's something unique about Jesus. They've even called him the Messiah. Peter last week called Jesus Messiah. Yet his interpretation of what kind of Messiah Jesus was was unique and 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 different. It was misunderstood. Now, what we're going to see, be and this is man, this is just the way that Mark is. Mark layers things so beautifully. The Greek is really simple, but the way that he's packaged this book together is so nuanced and so beautiful. And so what we now see is Jesus takes his disciples after healing this man, and he will begin to ascend a mountain. And we believe most likely the mountain that he is climbing is Mount Hermon, which sits off to the east uh, the foot of Mount Hermon very beautiful, a couple hundred feet below sea level, which makes from the bottom of Mount Hermon to the top of this mountain, it makes it about an 11,000 foot ascent. That's the journey that they're going to partake in. And as they journey up that mountain, and they finally get to the destination on the peak, we'll see this morning. And Jesus reveals to his disciples, his inner circle, Peter, James, and John, exactly who he is. He he unveils the Godhead, is what Jesus is going to do. What's the purpose of this morning's story? Clarity. Right? Remember, they, they misunderstood, the disciples misunderstood. That's what we're told. I think if you, if you just look, it's probably pretty quick to f- uh, find. Um, I'm kidding. I can't find it. Um, so they misunderstand who Jesus is, and on the heels of that, he heals the, the blind man the blind man sees. Now he journeys up to the mountain. Why? So they can see. So they can visibly see who God is. And so here's kind of my goal this morning. If you like taking notes and you're a note taker, here's the overarching kind of theme this morning. We're getting a a peek into who Jesus is. That's the title of the message this morning, a peek into who Jesus is. And the goal this morning will be to allow the word of God to do as it does, to allow it to minister to us But my hope this morning is that the Spirit will make God's glory weighty here this morning, that his presence would be in this room and that on the heels of this presence in the room, he would mean much to us and we would take that muchness and move it into the world to continue to share the glory of God with all who will hear. So now we pick up this morning in chapter 9, starting in verse 1. If you are able to this morning, I'd invite you to stand with me, which is our custom, to just honor God's word. Uh, we do this for our, our recovering Catholics, to make them feel more comfortable in Protestant church. Uh, we, 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 <laughs> all those who laughed are recovering Catholics. Now we do it but just to get our hearts and our minds right and to show honor to something we believe is really unique and special. The Holy Word of God. Verse 1, Mark 9. He said to them, Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. I know you're standing, we're going to read more, but I want you to take note that this is a prophecy that Jesus has put forth that those that he is with will not taste death until they see the coming glory. That coming glory for sure is the resurrection. But specifically in context, it's the glory they're about to see. So he's prophesying, and right on the heels we see the fulfillment of this coming glory. And here it is, verse 2. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. That was his inner circle of friends, his closest group of disciples. And he led them, that's his leadership, up the high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a great cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came from the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. This would be our hope in verse 8. Father, that you would make your son the only center of our attention, the only center of our worship, that we would adore you. Lord, as you have adored us, you have come from heaven to earth to pursue your church. To bring your church to yourself, to cleanse them of their unrighteousness, to make them white as snow, that they then would proclaim who you are. Be with us this morning. Equip us. Draw us near. Comfort us. Heal us where needed. Rebuke us if necessary. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. Please, I invite you to seat. We know. That when it comes to the understanding of who Jesus is, to some degree or another, we fall incredibly short. In John chapter 1, we're told of Jesus that he is the word. And that the word became flesh and the word dwelt amongst us. That word dwelt amongst us is a similar word that Peter t- uh, uses uh, uh, in regards to tabernacle, that Jesus tabernacled amongst us. It's language that God himself has tented, tabernacled, come, his presence is here. In Colossians, we are told of Jesus that the fullness of God's deity is embodied in Christ, Colossians 2.9. We're told that the essence of God, along with the humanity of Jesus, is something that cannot be completely grasped. But what we see, no matter what, in regards to this transfiguration, is that Jesus confirms that in spite or despite having an outward appearance of a mere, of a, of a mere mortal man, Jesus is in his nature God himself in bodily flesh. You see, this is who Jesus is. He is God. He is part of the Trinity. He has come to pursue man. He has come to pursue him or her or that little one to have relationship with. The word that's used here as he goes to this high mountain, the word that's used for transfigured could better be translated transformed or uh, the Greek is where we get our word metamorphosis from. Right? I mean, if you ever I don't know. I'm, I remember when I was a kid, and one of the things about growing up in Truckee, California, that if you are a child and you enter into the woods, you will know that we have a particular kind of brush that grows in the woods. And on that particular kind of brush, typically during the right season, you will find what looks like a cluster, a thick cluster, a little cyclone, if you will, of what looks like spider webbing on that bush. Are you familiar with what I'm talking about? And inevitably, as you get closer, you realize that it's not a, a, a spider web at all. In fact, it's, it's f- f- just fluttered with caterpillars. And there's these little fuzzy guys about yay big, and if you were like me and as a young kid, and you grabbed them and you held them, uh, just as a side note, has nothing to do with the message, they would spit up blood. Looking for any kids who remember exactly what I'm talking about. I didn't torture them, I promise. It was just a natural defense mechanism. And then to realize as a young kid growing up in the woods, that thing was going to turn into something other than. Later in my childhood, as I would play in the little streams and the little creeks, you'd notice this little kind of bug that would have a tendency to come out of the water, attach itself to the rock, split open, and again turn into something other, a dragonfly. And that is what is happening here. This is Jesus was one thing. And as he climbs to the mountain, he becomes a completely, what appears to be a different thing. What's happening? Well, what's happening is Jesus is unveiling the Godhead in him. We're finally, for the first time, getting a clear vision of exactly who Jesus Christ is. This is God. And as he is transformed and changed, he shines. Well, let's get a little further into the story. Let's, let's, let's go back into some of the other gospels that give us a clearer picture of what has actually occurred here. They take the journey to the top of the mountain, which again is believed to be Mount Hermon, 9,000, you know, ascent climb. And you know what Luke tells us the disciples were doing, James, Peter, and John on the mountain? They were asleep. Because that's what you do after a 9,000 foot climb. Right? They probably wanted to take a nap somewhere around the 5,000 foot range. Yeah, however they get there, they take a nap. While they're napping, Jesus is transformed. And appearing is Elijah and Moses. And then to reveal all of this, to, to give us a picture of what's happening, Peter wakes up and has a wrong response. Right? Of course it's Peter. We'll get there in a a moment. but, But what I want you to see before we get to Peter is a little bit of a picture of what the Old Testament and further on in prophecy, the New Testament say about the vision, about the picture, about what Jesus would look like. Very similar to what probably was experienced on the mountain. Okay, so buckle up. If you have any time, you should write down, it's in your notes that I've given you, put it in your Bible, along with this transfiguration moment, Daniel chapter 10. In Daniel chapter 10, we are told of Daniel's terrifying vision. And the terrifying vision he has is the vision of the Son of Man. It's a vision of Jesus. And this in Daniel 10 is some of what's described about this Messiah. He wears a belt of gold. Apparently he lives in Marta's camp. He has a body like a rock. So he's working out. It's actually a gem. It goes on and tells us in Daniel 10 that his face is like the appearance of lightning. His eyes are like flaming torches. His arms and legs are like the gleam of burnished bronze. And the sound of his words are like a multitude. That's Daniel's vision, terrifying vision of this particular man. It's not a Marvel character. It's not a comic book guy. This is God himself. Later in Revelation chapter 1, when we start to see the new Jerusalem, the new heaven coming to earth, the new earth, the the, the newness of man, when Christ comes back to make everything perfect, to take away your tears, to take away your pain, to take away sin, to make everything as it should be, this is how he comes. First of all, in Revelation 1, it tells us he comes with a host of armies, which is us. But this is the description. The hairs on his head are white. Like white wool, similar, remember, right? His his clothing here is is radiant beyond that of anything that could be bleached on earth. It's like snow, it says, his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, his voice like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Why? Because why not? He's God. From his mouth comes a sharp two-edged sword, which points us towards the word of God. His face is like the sun, shining in full strength. Have you ever looked at the sun at full strength? Try it sometime. See how it works out for you. When I saw him, verse 17 of Revelation 1, the only response one should have is this response. I fell at his feet as though dead the fire in his eyes the lightning in his face the white hair the, the, the look of a sun this this is the top of the mountain they have ascended to this 9,000 foot destination and this is what they're seeing and I'm sure just like in Revelation something was mentioned to Peter and them as well fear not In Revelation 1, when he sees this vision, he's told not only not to fear, but then furthermore, the title of Christ is laid at his feet. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I died and behold, I live forevermore. He goes on to say, I alone have the keys of death and Hades. Because this is what they're seeing. The Godhead fully unveiled, clearly seen And we are seeing that he is sinless. He is shining bright. He is clothed in splendor and majesty. Revelation 19 tells us even further, his eyes are like a flame of fire. I mean, this glory is massive. This glory is beautiful. This glory is heavy. And you know why this is so important? Because this is on the heels of what is called Ichabod. How many of you are familiar with that word Ichabod? The word Ichabod literally means without glory. You see, God had been sending his prophets to preach of his glory, his kings to preach of his glory, his leaders to preach of God's glory, his beauty, and they wouldn't listen and they wouldn't repent, so God goes silent for 600 years. And it isn't until John the Baptist shows up on the scene that God speaks again. But this particular moment, man, it's God reintroducing himself to his people again. I am here. I am present. I am with you. Turn from all your false worship and come to me. But imagine for the people of Israel, 600 years of no flame, no cloud, no tabernacle, no presence. And here on the mountain, God's glory comes to fruition. And then Moses, why not? Elijah, why not? They're dead, but they're not. They're back in glory. They've been transformed as well why are they on the mountain why have they made an appearance why elijah and why moses well because moses represents the law of god and elijah represents the prophets of god what we're being told here is that jesus is coming in one he is one he is the fulfillment of the law and he is the fulfillment of the prophets let's make some more connections because they're really cool how many of you remember the story of Elijah? Elijah, 900 years earlier. Let's go back 900 years. Ready? Here we are. This is 900 years earlier. This is 900 years today. No, the math doesn't work. It doesn't matter. 900 years from Jesus' day. Elijah goes to a mountain. If you remember, he goes to the top of a mountain, Mount Horeb, and he calls fire down from the cloud, fire down from the sky on the false idols and the false gods of the day. Everything that Elijah represents is that he will speak to God's people and he will turn them from their false gods to the true God. Moses also went to the top of a mountain. Do you remember that one? Mount Sinai. And he went to the top of the mountain and where Elijah brought down fire, Moses brought down the law of God. He heard from the Lord and he brought down the law of God. What does Jesus bring down the mountain? We're not there yet. But he doesn't bring fire and he doesn't bring the law, but we'll see he brings grace. Here's the other connection that's really interesting and kind of fun to look at. Where's Elijah's grave? Who knows the story of great Elijah? How did Elijah ascend to heaven? A chariot. You can look it up. You can go back. You look in a chariot. God saw the greatness of him, and and God decided to allow him not to taste death, and in a chariot of fire, that's how I want to go to heaven. There's no grave for Elijah. Where's Moses' grave? Well, it's quite fun if you actually just do a little bit of research on Moses' grave. We're told they don't know where they buried him. And then later in the book of Jude, there's this crazy story of Michael the archangel basically fighting over the body of Moses. And the body of Moses ends up not being found. He has no grave. Why? Because if we knew where Moses' body was, for sure it would be in a Catholic church somewhere. And we would worship it, and we would turn it into a saint and we turn it into something that it's not to be. Moses has no grave. Elijah has no grave. Where is our Savior's grave? All three men on the mountain, all three glorified. All three don't have a grave. We're pointing towards something that is trying to be said here in the glory of God. Jesus Christ is the better Moses. And Jesus Christ is the better Elijah. He is the fulfillment Of Moses and Elijah. Which is important. And it's one of my favorite verses. In this particular gospel. Verse 9. Of chapter 9. I'm sorry. Verse 8 of chapter 9. Suddenly. After this appearance. And this transfiguration. Looking around. They no longer saw anyone but what? That's the goal. The reason I love this verse. Is all that is seen is Jesus. The goal of bringing Moses on the mountain wasn't to give Moses attention. The goal of bringing Elijah on the mountain wasn't to give Elijah attention. The goal of Moses and Elijah was to point the disciples and to point us to the one that is greater than both of them. The whole emphasis is on the work of Jesus Christ. And what Luke tells us while the disciples are asleep and while Moses and Elijah and Jesus are having a powwow, Luke tells us they're talking. They're having a conversation. They're in community. And do you know what they're talking about? It says in Luke. Well, in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, it tells us that Jesus was speaking with Elijah and Moses about his departure and what he will accomplish in Jerusalem. They're having a pregame talk about the cross. Jesus This is probably one of the only moments in the life of Jesus where he's finally talking to somebody who gets it. Moses and Elijah have the eternal perspective. It's probably the first time he's having some kind of understanding because outside of this, man, everybody else just doesn't get it. Everybody else is just cloudy in their vision. They can't see the glory of God that is sitting on this mountain. They definitely can't see the glory of God that's on the cross because God has always been in the business of hiding his beauty and splendor in that which is ordinary and common. So he speaks of his death, it says. And the word that's used for death is the same word that's used for Exodus. It's not a decaying and dying forever. It's a Passover that leads to a resurrection. That's their conversation. And then, as the conversation occurs, Peter wakes up. And in point two, there's a wrong assumption of this glory and identity that is in Christ. And Peter says, imagine it. On that mountain, (laughs) two dead guys you shouldn't be seeing. And one of them looks like fire in the sun. And he wakes up and his first response is, I'll build you a house. And I'll build Moses one and Elijah one too. The first mistake that Peter has made is he's put Jesus on the same level as Moses and Elijah. That's his first mistake. The second mistake is thinking it's good to just be where the awesome emotion and awesome feeling is. All of us, if we're honest, want to live in happy moments. We're always trying to get there. And so Peter opens his mouth, and to give him credit, we we know that Peter oftentimes puts his foot in his mouth, but at least the text gives him somewhat of a, you know, um, it's nice to him. It literally says that he said what he said because he didn't know what to say because he was terrified. And so he says to the Savior, it's good that we're here. Talk about the understatement of the year. This is a good thing. Peter's talking when he should be listening. Peter hasn't heard the idiom, a closed mouth gathers no feet. Instead, he speaks, and in doing so, he shows what is true, even of most of us this morning. I'm not seeing you quite as clearly as I should, Lord. You're not exactly understandable right now. And what is needed in that moment, what is needed in the moment of of confusion, in the moment of, of Peter speaking, isn't for anyone else to speak except for one. And that's what we see in the text. Jesus doesn't need to speak for himself, the disciples don't need to speak for Jesus. God speaks. And his declaration is the same declaration we saw when Jesus was baptized This is my son whom I'm well pleased, who I love. And what's the takeaway? Listen to him, obey him. What's the purpose of seeing this glory? Well, it's to be captivated to the point of obedience. It's to look at the glory of God and go, I have to worship you. I have to live my life according to the way that, that you've commanded me. I have to take my money and give it to the things of God. I have to take my time and do God things with my time. I can't sit on the sideline. I can't, I can't just participate uh, on the edge of the, the, the line and hope that God's going to do something. I've got to get involved in this because it's worth it. God is worth it. And this wording in verse seven, that the cloud overshadowed them, the wording is, is it enveloped them. The language is, this is the tabernacle. Peter, what in the world would you build a man-made structure for when you are living in the presence of God? Right, we we have a tendency, just like Peter, to take our methods and turn our methods from methodology to methodolatry. Thinking if we just keep doing the same things, if we just have the right lights, if we just have the right guy, if we just have the right vision, if we just have the right structure, then God will move. Forget all of that. All we need, all the church needs, all you need is the voice of God in the presence of God, and then you can live for God. There's nothing else that's needed. You don't need the building. You don't need the bells and whistles. You don't need those things. You need to be on the mountain with Jesus Christ and hear the declaration of God inside of your heart. This is my son and whom I am well pleased. Obey him. Why? Because just as the true nature of Christ is being revealed, it's Jesus's goal to give you your true nature so that you can truly be you. Your real personality can come forth. Your true happiness can be shared. See, Jesus wants to bring you into his glory because it's in his glory that you, in his presence, that you are transformed. And what's so awesome about what is being shared here is is simply this, that the Bible says that we will be made like him. Everything is decaying. What is the inner man that's being renewed day by day. I mean, heck, uh, you know, in, in a few days, I'm turning 44. <sighs> and I don't heal like I want to. I can't eat like I used to. I can't dance like I used to. I, could, I used to be able to dance. It's true. I can't even bounce on, bounce on the stupid trampoline anymore. My wife challenged me to do as many squats in 60 seconds as I could. That was a month ago. I'm still sore. is a true story. I do cold plunges, not just for my own mental health, but because my body's like, please, dear God, lower the inflammation. My body is decaying. I look in the mirror, I can see it. I can feel it. And I know many of you can feel that too. But the reality is as though my body's decaying because this glory is mine in Christ. He has given it to me that I would share in his nature, that I would share in his inheritance, that I would be a child of God. Because of that reality, I do feel on the inside completely different than I feel on the outside. I mean, what you see before me is a 44-year-old man trying to do everything I can to still enjoy my life and be fit. I saw a perfect T-shirt for me a few months back. Kind of fit, kind of fat. That was the shirt. I thought, dude, I would look so good in that. (laughs) But yet on the inside, I know God's at work in me. I know though I can't see it on your faces, I know that God's at work in you. I know that God's doing a work in you. He's renewing your soul. He's re- renewing your spirit. And again, when this is all said and done, the prophets disappear and all that's left is Jesus alone. That's what we want. I can't help but think that Peter, who gave the words to Mark to write this gospel, was thinking about this in 2 Peter 1.16 when he says this. We did not follow Cleverly devised myths. When we made known to you the power. What is he talking about? He's got to be talking about the mountain. He's got to be talking about the resurrection. When we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and here it is, and the voice borne to him by the majestic glory this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven for we were with him on the holy mountain. What's Peter's whole takeaway of this moment in 2nd Peter? Don't follow cleverly devised myths. Don't follow the junk the world's telling you. Get off of the blogs. Get off of the YouTube feeds. Get off of what's trending on Twitter. Get into the book. Get into the presence of God. Sit on the mountain so he can reveal his true self to you that you would know your true self. And then lastly, we come to the descent. Part three. Jesus begins the journey down the mountain. Surely a time to speak with his disciples. And what is Jesus' instruction? Well, don't say anything to anybody. That's what he says. Don't share. Why? Because they're going to share in their un- misunderstanding. They don't understand yet. So Jesus says, Don't share until I've been risen from the dead. At that point, he's essentially saying, Once I've risen from the dead, tell everybody, as many people as you can. And so they kept the matter to themselves and they questioned what it meant from rising from the dead. Do you see it? They had no theology for what Jesus was teaching. There was no doctrine they could go back to and go. They were just simply, what does it mean that Jesus is going to die and he is going to come back? You see, Jesus gives them a command. That's the first C. Don't tell anyone. The second C in verse 10 is they're confused. I don't get it. Then they ask another question. Let's take a look at it real quick, and we'll close here in just a few moments. Verse 11, Why do they, they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? So they're confused, right? They're like, okay, Elijah was on the mountain, but he was supposed to come first. The Old Testament says that. What's going on here? Where is Elijah? And then Jesus gives clarification, right? Commandment, confusion, clarification. And I think God works that way when we are in his presence. He commands us. We're typically confused by what he's telling us to do. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to our worldly minds. And then he clarifies it so we can walk in his power. And the clarification, yes, he says. Elijah has come and they did with him whatever they wanted what's the connection and who's Elijah John the Baptist this is what he's saying John the Baptist has come he has come in the spirit of Elijah he has prepared the way for the Messiah and they have killed him prophecy has been fulfilled and let's close with one more neat little deal remember Moses came down the mountain Elijah came down the mountain Moses brought the law. Elijah brought fire. Jesus will bring bring grace. But if we just go back one last time to Mount Sinai, as Moses was on top of that mountain, you'll remember there was a particular request that Moses had. God, show me your glory. And God shows him his glory, but in order to show him The glory, he says, listen, Moses, because of your sin nature, in order for you to see my glory, I'm gonna hide you in the cleft of the rock. I'm gonna hide you in there, because if you saw all of me, you would be destroyed. Just like looking into the sun, don't do it, it's a bad idea. And what he does is God says, I can't reveal all myself to you, I'll just show you the trail end of my robe. And then after the trail end passes by Moses, he has such a radical experience. If you remember, Moses comes down the mountain and the people see Moses. And what do they see in Moses' face? The glory of God. They can't even look at it. It's so bright that they tell Moses, when you leave the house, bro, cover up the face. It's a little too much. You're stumbling all the gals and all the guys wish they could be you cover up your attractiveness. There's too much beauty, too much splendor. It's too bright to look at. And Moses does. He covers up his face. Moses, you see, reflected God's glory like the sun reflects, or like the moon reflects the sun. But on this mountain, no one's consumed. Why? Because Jesus is the cleft. He's the one we hide in. Here's what, good old Peter didn't know. It's good that we're here. Dude, if Jesus wasn't here and this happened, you would die. You would have been obliterated. The mountain would have been a completely bloody scene. But instead, because Jesus is the cleft of the rock, they are hiding in the presence of God from the protection of God. And they don't even know it. And likewise, my friends, We can see the glory of God. We can see the presence of God because we're hidden in God. We're hidden in that envelope that is His presence. We are inside of Christ. Christ is inside of us because now we have the ability to go and shine in our community. Like the sun shines on the moon and the moon shows the sun's light, we should show the light. And here on the mountain, Jesus is the light. He is the glory. It's coming from him. Jesus doesn't need to reflect the glory. He is the glory. And our job, my friends, is in faith to be in awe of his glory and to thank him for his glory and to worship him for his glory. One of my theologian buddies said it really well of this passage. He said, the whole, the whole focus of this, this passage is just to get us to worship and so we're going to do that. As the worship team comes forward and my, uh, our uh, elders and, and deacons, if you'll come forward, we're going to partake in communion this morning together. And I think it's a good morning for us to participate in communion because we're celebrating and remembering this reality that, that God hid his glory inside of Christ. And that glory was hung on a cross for us. And his body was broken for us. And so as the team hands out the elements, just hold on to them uh, until we all have them together, and then I'll come back up, and we will uh, share and participate together, okay? Um, Kevin, would you do me a favor, man? Would you help out uh, over on this side? and Let's go ahead and just take a few moments, and uh, we'll partake together. A few years back, I I read a book <clears throat> called Disruptive Witness by, I think his name's Alan Noble. Uh, I wouldn't read it if I were you. It's pretty boring. Uh, but uh, if you want to be bored, I would encourage you to pick it up. But anyways, the, the, the whole preface of the book, which was healthy for me to read, is that essentially what we've lost in the American church is the idea of what's called transcendence. That God is transcendent, that He's more than, and... So I was sitting here contemplating and praying, this book popped in my mind because I was thinking even for my own mind how easy it is to be distracted. And the whole argument of the book is that because we're surrounded by screens and, and all of the, the dings and the buzzes and the beeps and all that, that, that we don't know how to transcend past what's in our screen, that our imaginations, if you will, have gone dormant, have dried up. And I just, I say that because it's important as we, just as the song, the, you know, the piano's playing, that the whole premise of the book is, is less screens, less smoke, less mirrors, less entertainment, more transcendence. And I say that because as we're about to partake in communion, I think the most transcendent thing could, that we're about to partake in, like th- it's in our hands. Imagine for a moment, a lot of, lot of theologians believe that the whole purpose of the shift in this teaching in Mark is that it is to prepare them. That glory on the mountain was to prepare them to see the glory on the cross. That this moment was to help them carry through the crucifixion that they will see. And imagine for a moment, and one day they see their savior like a blazing fire. And the next, he's bloodied and he's dying on a cross. All of that to share this reality that it is He and He alone that can make you the beautiful one that he, that you've always been designed to be by Him. He's the only one that's worth worshiping, and I invite you into that worship. Communion we're told is for believers who place their faith in Christ and the grace of God. That's how one is saved. You put your faith in the Lord. How much faith? As much as you can muster and you give that to the lord and he will walk with you and he will forgive you and that's as christians we partake in this to remember that's why we do this because we need to remember the transcendent reality of god's glory we need to allow our imaginations to go where the culture won't let you go so you can see god more beautifully than that stupid little screen wants to try to make you think that he he fits inside of a box god's so much bigger than one sermon He's so much bigger than one pastor. He's so much bigger than one location. And if any of you for any moment are sitting here and saying, I want this relationship with Christ, the invitation is yours. The invitation is before you every single week to put your faith, your salvation in Jesus. And if you desire to do that, you simply just say to the Lord, "I I give you all of what I can. It's not all of me because who can do that? but it's all of I can give you. And I know it's you I need. Make that proclamation and then follow up with one of us, anybody that you've seen up front, that we can show you what it's like to journey in your faith and grow. Would you stand with me this morning, please, as we partake together? Lord, we thank you for what we hold in our hands for it is to mean so much more than it just being a piece of bread and some kind of liquid that represents your blood. Lord, it drives us into your person. It reminds us of the radical grace that you have. It draws us into the reality. You lived 33 years of perfection because we couldn't do it. You died for us because we couldn't do that either. And then you and you alone defeated death to show that you have power over all that is evil. And all that is hurtful and painful. And so we rejoice and we partake in gratitude and thanksgiving for what you've done on the cross, shedding your innocent blood on our behalf and giving us your Son that we could live for eternity. We partake now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may partake. His body broken. God bless you have a great holiday week and uh, hope to see you next Sunday God bless you